well, we thought a good way to start the, the year off would be to return to how we started last year off. And, uh, and that was to, to, in the Psalms, to have a summer Psalms series. Uh, so this year we're going to be looking at, uh, summer Psalms, the classics. So, uh, that should be good. Psalms are a kind of a, a unique genre, uh, in the Bible. Their composition is, is, is kind of different to other, uh, writings in the Bible. Uh, they're written, like all other stuff, by human authors uh, about God as they understand him in light of his revelation and, and their actual human experience. They reflect and convey the, the passions and, and the affections of the human heart as it does life with God, as it does business with God. Psalms are not what we would call a typical revelation of God uh, where the author says, you know, thus says the Lord or, or the Lord said to Moses, you know, write all this stuff down. Nor are they like the spirit inspired, the chronicles of history uh, that we find in Kings and Chronicles and even the Gospels, um, the recording of God's uh, redemptive activity. Nevertheless, the Psalms are assumed to be the guided inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So as Bob Vogel, he's a theology lecturer in uh, Southern Baptist Seminary, he puts the Psalms like this. He says, they do more than express human passion and thought. They are the place where that passion and the grace of God intersect and, and do business. Psalms represent theology at work in real life and enable later readers to use them in the context of, of similar and corresponding situations. John Calvin said of the Psalms, and, and this is why they're, they're timeless, if you like, uh, in their impact on us. No one will discover in themselves a single feeling that is not reflected in the mirror of the Psalms. All grief, all sorrow, all, all fear, doubts, hopes, cares and anxieties... In short, all the tumultuous agitations of the soul are expressed in them. And so the Psalms give us, supply us with an appropriate way for us to engage uh, with and express our passions and our desires, our grief and our sorrows, our joy and our triumph, our fears and doubts, they give us an appropriate way to express them in, in prayer, in worship and, and in life in general. So we thought as we start 2020, uh, we'd be diving into these Psalms. And as I've said, we're going to be looking at our series. It's called The Classics. Uh, we surveyed the top 150 Psalms to see which ones were the most loved, which ones were the most read, the most Googled and looked up, uh, ended up on fridge magnets and coffee cups and, and all that kind of stuff. And by a very unscientific process, kind of whittled it down to five psalms. So we're going to be looking at just the five. Uh, if your favorite psalm doesn't turn up in this series, don't come at me. You obviously didn't Google it enough and get the search engines rolling on the internet for it to make the cut and to make the grade. Hey, hey let's pray and then we're going to, we're going to get into Psalm 121 uh, that Krista has already read to us this morning. Loving Father, as we look into your word this morning, would your spirit work on our hearts in ways that no human uh, voice can? Would you apply the truth of your care and your help of us 
uh, to our lives in ways that just warm our hearts with affection for you and, and hold us in place. We thank you that we can pray to you knowing that you never sleep nor slumber, that you are constant in your care. And our confidence of this is in Jesus, who died that we might live, who faced your wrath so that we would know grace. Well, Psalm 121 was one of the top five psalms uh, that, that we, we had a look at, and it just became a natural choice, a somewhat easy choice to start the year with, because Psalm 121 is what is known as a psalm of ascent. Uh, if you have your Bible open, you will see it written just above the psalm there, Songs of Ascent. Uh, there's, they live between uh, Psalm 120 and Psalm 134, 135. There's about 15 of these psalms. The word ascent just simply means to go up. And in Psalm 121 in particular, this is a, a journey psalm. It's the song of the pilgrim on his way or her way up to Jerusalem up to the city, up to the temple, where they, where they long uh, to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, they wish to go there and, and, and worship God, to make sacrifices, or maybe to participate in one of the three annual uh, festivals that was on the Jewish calendar, uh, the Passover or Pentecost or, or the, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. But as much as the pilgrim holds an eagerness uh, for the destination... The journey holds both difficulties and dangers. Jerusalem and the temple are situated at the top of a difficult and and mountainous climb. This psalm is speaking reassurance into that space of coming to the awareness of your limitations, of your need of help in the journey. The psalmist is honest about life. That even though uh, they plan for good things, even though uh, their plans are good, they're planning to go and worship God, that they are not ultimately in control of the world. They are not ultimately even in control of their own safety in life. That they need help. The assumption of this psalm, indeed the assumption of the entire Bible, is that we are not ultimately totally self-sufficient. We need help. We are created literally dependent creatures. We were created dependent on God, on God for our very lives, on God for our very sustenance. So the psalm serves to reassure the traveler that the guardian God is their help. This particular psalm, the God is described as being their help both transcendently. He is a powerful a guardian of the universe. I desperately wanted to get some guardians of the galaxy thing into this message, but I couldn't force it in there, so I, I didn't. Uh, God is this guardian of the universe, but also that this guardian of the universe is also an intimately personal guardian. Constant and comprehensive uh, as he keeps, as he watches over those who love him and those he loves. So over time, this psalm has become a classic psalm for anyone who is facing some kind of journey. Whether that journey is a literal journey, like the journey that this psalmist is about to go on, or, or whether that journey is kind of a, a symbolic journey, an, an experiential journey through the circumstances and environments uh, that, that we that we have and that they are foreboding 
our environments sometimes, our circumstances, our journeys. They are, they are filled with dangers and difficulties, both uh, internally and externally. The psalm has become an anthem of anybody moving towards some kind of desired destination or reality. It's a psalm for those who are honest about their limitations, their need for help in things that are beyond their control in the journey of life. And if we are honest, as we look ahead at the beginning of of 2020, and we look into the year with eagerness, we always start the year with eagerness and with, with New Year's resolutions and these things, but there are also all kinds of things that we simply don't have the strength for. Could be a marriage that's falling apart, breaking up, under duress. Could be a family that's at odds. Could be the well-being of our children. Could be loneliness. Could be the diagnosis of a terminal illness. Could be, and I'm, I'm certainly not being trite in this, could be recovering from the devastation of these unprecedented fires. This psalm teaches us that no matter how dark the valley, how difficult the task, no matter what's crashing and crushing down around us, even death itself, there remains a help that is available for God's people, an ever-present help. So much of our lives are harder than we'd like them to be. Under constant adversity, Psalm 21 says that God is our constant and our complete help. As the psalm begins, the psalmist looks to the mountains, to the journey ahead, and he's filled with both a mixture of anxiety and anticipation as he contemplates the journey and its destination. Jerusalem, the the holy city, the temple, it rests in the mountainous terrain of Palestine on on this watershed ridge that separates the Judean hills uh, to the west from the wilderness and Judah in the east. The psalmist is filled with anticipation of being in the house of the Lord with the people of God and it fills him with an eagerness. He's keen for the journey. He's keen for the year to get underway. However, it's not merely a, just a quick, you know, flip down peninsula link, a splash and dash at McDonald's for coffee and then, and then underway. This journey is the kind of treacherous journey that Jesus speaks about in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The mountains are full of bandits and vagabonds who hide in the, within the hills. And there's no, there's no mobile phones. There's no dial and triple zero. There's no RACV to come and get you. No kind of twil- tweeting out, you know, to the universe help overcome by evildoers. The terrain is unstable, loose, crumbling trails and the environment extreme in its elements. The heat of the day. The cold of the night, not to mention wild animals that scurry around the hills. The pilgrim faces the journey that is both difficult and dangerous and beyond their resources. The mountains, though literal for him, are symbolic for us as we lift our eyes up to the year 2020. There are many mountainous difficulties and dangers that rush at us and we kind of scan through a few of the possibilities. But as the psalmist contemplates the journey, the question enters the psalmist's mind from, 
from where does my help come? It's almost a rhetorical question. He knows the answer. No sooner than the question floods the soul of the traveler than he is comforted by the knowledge of God. The God who is the guardian of the universe. This God will also be the guardian of his journey. Like the lyrics of a familiar song, the attributes of Yahweh, the attributes of their covenantal God, the the God of all creation come to mind. Maybe he's thinking through uh, reading Genesis, how God created the universe just with a word. This God has committed himself to provide help to those who call on his name as he did for Abraham. It's no vain cry because Yahweh is nothing less than the one who made the heaven and the earth. The Hebrew has no word for universe. When they wish to uh, sum up the totality of all that there is, they use the phrase heaven and earth. The psalmist recalls this image, this knowledge of God to stress to himself, to reassure him that God that is the God of who created the universe, is a God of unbounding power. This God, this guardian of the universe, is the one who will now guard his journey. There can be nothing hiding in those hills that God has made that he is not unaware of. There can be nothing hiding in those hills that God created that could escape or overcome his might and his power. The psalmist looks away from the perceived dangers and to the Lord whose help and strength is greater than any unknown danger, any unknown or, or even debilitating anxiety. When we dwell on our fears and our anxieties, they are prone to become exaggerated and they take on an unhealthy position in our lives. Acknowledging their reality but choosing to surrender them to the reassuring knowledge that the guardian of creation is indeed our helper and our sustainer fortifies us for the year ahead, fortifies us for the journey. This is the working theology of the psalmist, where the grace of God, where God's revelation to us is exercised in our own experience of life. So how does this guardian of the galaxy apply this abstract universal help to our personal and particular journey? Well, the psalmist tells us uh, that the way his help and care comes into our lives is in the form of his watchful, protective care. The Hebrew word soma is the word that is used here. And he fleshes and he help, uses it to help him flesh out his understanding of God. It literally means guardian. And it's translated, he who keeps, or he who watches, or he who guards. But it's got an overall sense of a guardian, a shepherd. The word appears six times in this psalm. The psalmist moves his thoughts from his thoughts about God, uh, from the transcendently powerful that creates and sustains the universe, to the knowledge that God now applies that transcendent power, if you like, into his personal care, into his personal situation. In verses three and four, the psalmist tells us that the guardianship of God, of the God of his people, is a constant care. God is the eternal, ever-vigilant, ever-present, all-powerful one. He will hold you in place. Your foot will not slip. 
is a, is a way of saying security is not found necessarily in knowing your path, your actual literal path, but in knowing the God who knows the path. This is not about, you know, you won't slip and sprain your ankle. It's about frail hearts that need strong places to tread. This is about the nature of your faith and relationship with God. He will prove himself to you. Your faith will be reassured. In hardships and suffering, God is committed to you. He will not let you slip from his grasp. He will keep you. This is because God never sleeps nor slumbers. He is constant in his activity in your life. You'll never get one of those, you know, those when you send an email off to someone you're desperately waiting to hear from, you get one of those return emails that says, out of the office now, uh, you know, very frustrating. You never get one of those. God never gets distracted, never goes on holidays, never looks away. God is always accessible. There is never a time, day and night, that you cannot disturb him, that you cannot turn to him in prayer. Psalm 46 tells us that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help. The help of God for the psalmist is constant, is constantly applied to our lives. Secondly, the psalmist describes the guardianship of God as is comprehensive. The journey before the psalmist holds all kinds of unavoidable dangers and difficulties that constantly assail him. None are more threatening than the sun. It's pervasive heat, a killer for those who, who journey in the arid you know, conditions as it relentlessly beats down on him or her. As the psalmist thinks about the comprehensive threat of the sun, he says, God is like shade, like the shade of my right hand. The help of God is like stepping into the shade of a cliff, bringing instant and comprehensive relief and comfort to your soul. In 2 Corinthians 1 3. Paul describes God as the God of all comfort. A comfort that is the disposition that comes from resting in God's sovereign and loving rule in your life. The Bible paints a comprehensive picture of God's care for us. No one is left unshaded. No one is left out in the cold. There is no part of your life that God is not interested in, not wanting to apply his help to, to see you through that journey. Night and day, God is shading us with help. In writing about the sun and the moon, the psalmist is not merely thinking about the elements uh, of, of heat and cool and, and, the, and the constant nature of God's uh, shading care there to the dangers of the journey. He's also referring to the length, the time of the journey. Days refer... The sun refers to days, if you like. The moon refers to months. That's how the Jewish calendar worked. From day to day, from month to month, year in, year out. God is with you in the journey. As the very last verse says, the Lord watches over your coming in and your going out constantly, comprehensively. God is with you in every life situation, in every activity of your day. This is, this is the promise of God to the psalmist. The psalmist names the difficulties and the dangers that are before him. 
This is the acknowledging of our limitations, the acknowledging of our need. And to each obstacle, to each anxiety, the psalmist says, God is our refuge. This is the surrender of self-sufficiency and pride to the sufficiency of the help of God. This is the acknowledging that God alone brings peace to the soul. Listen very carefully. The psalmist is not saying, nor does the Bible say that God will lead you to shade. That God will lead you to help. The psalmist is saying that God is the help. That God is the shade. That God is the stable ground. Regardless of what may spring forth out of the mountains, out of the metaphoric mountains, out of the road ahead that we are journeying on, whether it's our work, our vocation, our marriage, our children, our family, our health, our security. The moment the thought of difficulties and dangers flood our soul, bring anxiety, let us remember the ground of our confidence, the source of our comfort. The God who made the heavens and the earth is also the God of the journey who has committed himself to the care of our going in and our coming out of our day-to-day activities, who has committed himself to hold us in place in our faith. When the psalmist says he will keep you from all harm, he does not mean that you will never know difficulty, that you will never encounter danger. In fact, quite the opposite. What he means is if you lift your eyes, if you redirect your focus to God, you will not be crushed by difficulty. You, you, evil will not overwhelm you. Evil may happen to you, but you will not ultimately be shaped or determined. It will not ultimately shape or determine the destination of your, of your soul. God keeps watch over its security forevermore. Verses 7 and 8 are the, are the summing up of the totality of God, God's help in which he reveals that the object of God's care is not so much uh, your comfort uh, as as it is your actual life. This word life here, he keeps your life, actually means soul, the environment where your faith takes place. God is committed to holding your faith, your relationship with him in place. And the psalmist lets us know that this, that this guardianship is not limited to our experience of life, but is also covered in in even death. From this time forth and forevermore, in this life and into the next, you are constantly, comprehensively held in place by the shade of God's presence and power. The psalmist knows that this is the God who goes on the journey with him. Because this is the God who has been on the journey with his people as they have journeyed with him. This is the God of Abraham. Of, of, of Isaac, of Jacob, of Moses, of David. But the psalmist could hardly have imagined that God would one day make the journey as him, like him. 
that God would one day face the anxiety of the foreboding mountains. That God himself would one day tread the journey of life as the psalmist does, as the pilgrim does, as you and I do. In Jesus, we have a God who, as the writer of Hebrews tells us in in chapter 4.15, knows what it's like to face life, to face danger and difficulty. But unlike us, Jesus never relied on his self-sufficiency, even though he is the one person who could Jesus constantly, perfectly relied on the Father. And he lived a life of faith that we simply cannot. In John 17, as Jesus' time on earth draws to its planned end, we find Jesus praying. He is praying to the Father, summarizing his life on the earth as a life that has perfectly brought glory to God. Because it has been lived in perfect obedience and perfect love of the Father. It has is, it is sought perfect refuge with the Father. And now Jesus prays that just as the Father kept him, would the Father now also keep those who will identify with Jesus as Lord and Savior? Would you keep them in the same kind of relationship that Jesus and the Father know? Would you keep them from the evil of this world, even though they are in this world, even though they will journey through this world? Would you keep them? In Jesus, the help of God, his guardianship over your life is dynamically applied to your life by the Spirit. We we kind of read about that transaction in John 3. We don't see how it happens but we see the evidence of it it's supernaturally applied to our lives in such a way that your relationship with the father is deeply personal and intimate holds you in place so that even though you face evil you are not destroyed by it overcome overwhelmed by it because jesus faced another mountain where there was no shade from ultimate danger where Jesus was not himself safe, where Jesus was cast out, where evil men sought to destroy him, we can shelter in the constant and comprehensive shade of the cross. Because Jesus faced the wrath of God on that mountain, in that environment, at the end of that journey, we get to face the grace of God. Jesus is God's ultimate place of help for the journey of life. Because Jesus faced the ultimate danger on our behalf. We know there's no limit to God's care for us. Because Jesus rose victorious over the greatest danger, death itself, we know there's no limit to the power of God's care for us. This year, as we head into 2020, no matter what anxieties rush at us, what dangers and difficulties we face, in Jesus we don't face them alone. In Jesus we have the guardian God of our soul who keeps us. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, speaking of Jesus, for he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's pray. Now, unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, may be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forever. Lord, would you keep us in the journey. Amen.